A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport where Catherine Whitaker has been on the telly with Mr. Mark Pecci moments ago live to the nation. Mark Pecci, how are you doing sir? Well, after that big momentous moment in my life, I'm, I'm just trying to come down to earth. So uh, if I don't get every word out, it's just because I'm a bit flustered from that, from spending time with Catherine on telly. Yeah. I see. Is it... Less of the sass, Petch. <laughs> it's been an exciting day, hasn't it? My goodness. What, what year is this? 2005? I mean, you, we've got Nadal, Federer, Venus Williams and Serena Williams and Mariana Lucic Baroni, or is it the 90s? What's going on? It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's absolutely unbelievable. I was interviewing Mary Pierce earlier and she was talking about Mirjana Lucic Baroni and her memories of her as a 15-year-old here. And, you know, it's all just wonderful but highly bizarre. I, and, and I do wonder if maybe this was all part of the big grand plan of the Australian Open this year. You know, let's change the balls, let's change the courts and let's bring back the early noughties. I don't know, could be. Indeed. Well, uh, we, we've got to talk to Mark Petchy very quickly because he's, apparently he's got a beer date with Jim Courier. <laughs> so, uh, well, Mark, it, it's, um, it's been an True. amazing <laughs> tournament, hasn't it? I mean, first and foremost, I mean, the, you know, obviously you know, there's a lot of Andy Murray and, and Novak Djokovic fans thinking it's a terrible tournament because yeah. their men have gone out. But we're left now with an extraordinary few days in prospect let's just just take a couple of these stories in turn first of all you've got Roger Federer Stan Wawrinka what do you think what do you think about that match I mean for me I'm thinking Federer is going to just take it to him and win I, I think that's a general consensus. It's everyone's kind of like the court is quick enough for him to be able to do that, David. And I think that, that that's a huge part of it. You know, when you look at their head-to-head record, you know, the fact that he's never lost a stand on a hard court, why is that? Because clay gives you more time to set up and, and, and hit the ball. And I think that Roger, as we saw against Misha is just a fine exponent of any different opponent on this surface he's got a way to beat you he's always had many layers to his game Um, so he has a great understanding the one thing I will say is that Stan does produce wrecking balls and he wrecks people's dreams and he's wrecked Rafa's here in 2014 where he's going to be the only man ever to have won every slam twice in the open era and he came in he hadn't won a set and he killed it and he did the same at the French when he lost the opening set and Novak's only ever lost like five times when he's lost the opening set at a major and, and Stan's done it there he did it at the open so I always 
always will put an asterisk when stands on the court because you just don't know what you're going to get. There's been a subtle change with Norman as well with how he's tried to serve him. He's tried to serve a lot more to the backhand. Um, so there is a few tactics that stands going to try and produce. But ultimately, the most precious thing you have on a tennis court is time. And I don't think he's going to have the luxury of too much of it. We've just seen Rafael Nadal win over Milos Raonic. He had to fight off six set points in that second set. But it was noticeable how early he seemed to be taking the serve on, you know, and, and his ability to absorb somebody's thunderbolts. He did it against Gael Monfils a couple of times. I'm thinking, how are you picking that ball out, let alone, you know, to return? How are you hitting clean winners with it? I know I know, we were doing a podcast here, so, I, so it's going to lose a little bit of effect for your listeners. But when you look at that Hawkeye graphic here, David, you can see what Rafa was doing on the returns in the past against Raonic. You can see he was going, there was an eight-meter differential at times between the way he was returning the first serve and the... Uh, there deep look at that look at these here and then you can see the second serve there's about seven meter the big thing that we noticed tonight right from the start was how he stood up and he just stayed there he didn't go back at all carlos did a fantastic job of saying to him listen you know you've got to stop that the angles you can't i know this isn't your in your comfort zone this is not what you want to do let's not confuse the issue because when you look at that graphic Imagine standing there thinking, well, should I be eight metres back? Should I be inside the baseline? You know, that plays with how you're going to control the ball. That's how you're seeing the ball because you're thinking about other things that are external to what actually is most important thing is seeing the ball and hitting it clean. And I thought that was a huge part of tonight, that he actually did a great job. Even in the breaker, which he obviously had to save the set points in, if you actually look at it, there were I think, I think Milos made every first serve virtually until the set point and Rafa made every ball. He actually should have capitalised on that, but he didn't. But I think the key to it was that he kept his position and he didn't get sort of uh, negative about if it didn't go in, that it was the right thing to do. He stuck with the plan and it came good. The other thing that it's it's a great... um advert for in my view is mental freshness what Federer and Nadal are doing here as opposed to Djokovic and Andy Murray who frankly look pretty fried generally these two other guys have come in here just ready to go well also you you know I think Rafa obviously you know not necessarily played on too many quick courts Rogers Rogers a bridge to every generation in my opinion in terms of the style of players you could go back to Labour you can go to the 70s you can go to the 80s and find players that Roger relates to and also he grew up playing on very quick courts as well along with the clay in Switzerland as well so he's more adjusted he played Greg Rosetsky five times you know he played Jan Simmering a big lefty Dutchman so he knows how to play these guys because he's done it whereas a lot of them haven't actually had to deal with that type of tennis I thought Andy maybe just slightly missed a trick tactically with his uh, his court position in terms of his first serve where he always stands he looked like he stayed deep all the way through yet Misha's serving in average 175 kil- you know kilometers an hour first serves when you look at Roger he took the ball early against Misha stuck it up the middle he was a long way back from hitting that first volley whereas he got in so I think there was I think there's been some great adjustments that we've had to see players try and make out there um, that some have been able to some not always and also let's not let's not take it away from Misha and from Dennis they played some great tennis they won a lot of those points and you know I think that's one thing that's shone through here when we look at the stats at the end of the matches you've had a huge winner to unforced error ratio generally in the positive now you rate for the rest of the season when you're in Miami and you're watching two players slug it out in 80 degree humidity and you're going to see 45 unforced and eight winners I I personally think there's a place for this not too quick but for what we've had here 
it's kind of worked. Right then, pre-beer predictions for the rest oh. of the tournament. What are you going with? Uh, Coopers, Stella. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, we don't, they're not paying us. We're not advertising <laughs> them. So, come on, Mark Pecci. We've got Stanford Rinker. You're picking Federer just yep. about, aren't you? I am going with Federer uh, just about. Listen, it's semis, um, but... Uh, I know you're going to force me to pick, so I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Roger, and I'm going to go with Rafa edging it as well. I love the way Gribble is the best I've seen him play. I would not be surprised to see him in the final, but I'm going to go with Rafa. And who's going to win the final? Oh my goodness, this is like this is this is tough. Uh, you haven't listened to this podcast before. No, I haven't. No, no. Obviously, you don't let anyone out of here without uh, <laughs> without making them sound even more stupid than they did before they came in. Um, I'll go with Roger if he Roger if he makes the final. Yeah. Roger Federer to beat Rafael Nadal in the final. That head to head. Yep. I mean, haven't Petri. played on too many courts this quick in their head to head. Lovely to have you with us here on the well, tennis. It's great podcast. to be here And Catherine Whitaker as Mark Petchy departs now and goes and has beer with Jim Courier and all the other celebrities of the tennis world. Um, Your invite got lost in the post, didn't it? I know. We have to do this podcast. Fortunately, we're sharing it with thousands and thousands of listeners. We don't need beer because we've got the, the joy and the uplift of that. So, Catherine. The day has been, from my perspective, pretty uplifting just in general. I mean, you know, from a British perspective, a shame for Joe Conter. But goodness me, we found the best of Serena Williams again today. Yeah, Serena was at her bullying best. I mean, it was it was statement tennis from Serena Williams, wasn't it? She... I mean, we spoke to, we we had my interview with Patrick Moritoglu on the podcast, I mean, more than a week ago now, and he was already eyeing Joe Conta as one of Serena's biggest threats for the title here. He already had his eyes on this quarterfinal match. They were taking Joe Conta's threat very, very seriously today, and that showed in how Serena Williams approached that match. She was on from the first moment. She was, you know criticising herself for, for every mistake and there weren't too many of them I think Conta will perhaps have a few regrets but I I mean it's awfully corny and cliched but she absolutely will learn from them I think that if they played the same match again tomorrow the school line would be different I think Conta w- would put up a far better fight it felt like she was just struggling to adjust to, to just a completely different tennis experience to to any other on, on the women's tour, which is what Serena Williams hits you with. Yeah, that, that, that was my sense of it as well. I mean, I, I was commentating on the match and there were a couple of moments when Serena Williams hit full-blooded returns as hard as she physically could. And I don't think she cared too much about whether they went in or not. They were just statements to go down the other end and just tell Joe Conta, look, this is what you're dealing with now. This is not like anything else you've dealt with. This is how hard and fast the ball will come to you if I connect. And I can connect at any time I want, and you better be afraid. That, that, I mean, she was very nice. She was applauding her opponents. Good shot. She was very f- gracious in victory afterwards and very generous. But in the points, that's what she was saying to Joe Conta. You know, I've seen all your, your Sydney title and your other match wins. I'm not like those other people that you've been beating well it's a common thread a common characteristic in all of these incredible champions isn't it that that they can be so brutal and single-minded on the court at the at the expense of all else you know what was that from Stan Wawrinka in his aggro with Joe Wilfred Songa I mean that, that seemed to come from nowhere and you cannot imagine 
these people being remotely like that off the court, but it's that single-minded... I mean, Rafael Nadal today looked like he would positively clobber anyone that stood between him and victory out there this evening. It's not an accident that all these guys have it. I mean, I even saw it just about in the eye of Roger Federer the other night in his... I think it was his victory celebration after the Nishikori win. You know, that was pretty pretty strong stuff from uh, from a, a mild-mannered man you know that's what these people have that us mere mortals don't yeah certainly do Catherine spoke to Johanna Conter afterwards so let's have a little listen to that about how Johanna Conter found that experience Joe commiserations obviously a disappointing one today but a great battle could you just talk me through the match from your perspective where you feel it was won and lost um well I think uh, she she did what she does so well and the just the, her ability to really impose herself on court and impose herself within the rallies, I think uh, it made me feel a lot of uh, time pressure and, and a lot of stress. And I think she was uh, able to obviously serve well and, uh, yeah, and also uh, really, really, um, yeah, impose herself on, on, on my serve as well on her return. So uh, I'm really happy, though, that I, I got this experience because I think uh, I'll be able to take a lot from it uh, and hopefully again play her at some point. But... Uh, also in, into other matches that I will play in the future. Well, that's it. You talk a lot, a lot about being like a sponge, taking so much from experiences, positive and negative. Do you know yet what you will be able to learn from your first meeting with arguably the greatest female player of all time? Um, I think definitely, uh, I, I think uh, when I will play other players who are able to, um, I guess, make me feel the, that kind of stress of, or that kind of time pressure or... I think uh, I will be able to look back on this match and, and also realise that sometimes, oh, I'm not doing so badly and it's actually just them and, and just look to uh, look to manage that a bit better. And I think also just have a bit, bit better perspective. <laughs> well, she said on the court that she thinks you're a future champion here. Surely the way you've played in Sydney and here, is that enough to convince you of the same? <laughs> um, well, it is my dream to uh, to win Grand Slams, so uh, that's, that's very nice of her to say. And uh, um, all I can do is just keep focusing on the work and keep trying to keep trying to get better. And uh, hopefully, I'll get my chance one day. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? 
You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So that was uh, that was Joe after the defeat to to Serena Williams. She, as you say, she's a learner um, in terms of she's somebody who picks up experience and, and really grows with it. What what was your sense having seen her in that environment and also seen her in the press conference? What was your impression of of, of, of her demeanour and how she'd taken the defeat? Not well, um, not well at all. But you don't want her to take that defeat. Well, she clearly been crying she clearly done a very very good job of composing herself before coming in and facing the media which I can only imagine how difficult that is to do uh, and there was some some pretty um, I, I think the the British media understand her a lot better than they did you know even a few months ago in New York I think there's there's a greater understanding uh, between Joe and the British press but even so there was some quite tough questioning you know one journalist asked if she had a cold and it was almost like it was so obvious she'd been crying and her response I really respected her her response she just said look I've been crying all right it's like you actually need me to say it out loud it's so obvious and you're actually making me tell you all that I've been crying um and uh yeah I really respected her she came in I thought I, I thought she that was one of the best interviews I've ever done with her actually I was quite taken aback by how open she was about what she would do differently if she was if she were playing that match again now I understand that um, your colleagues at, at BBC Radio spoke to Wim Fussett uh, shortly after the match and he was pretty outspoken about his disappointment uh, in some aspects of Joe's performance today which might perhaps explain some of the tears if he had been giving her a, a hard time uh, following the match I don't know if that's the case or not whether it was just pure disappointment but Boy, will she learn from this. I don't. I mean, she is a single-minded woman intent to do everything she possibly can to maximise her career and she will rinse every ounce of education she can from today's experience. Yeah, no, I'm sure she will. So, Serena Williams is going to take on Mariana Lucic-Baroni. The story just goes on and her, and her reaction after... After that match is something I will never forget. Never forget. She said, this moment has made my life. And everything that has happened to me over the years, it's okay. Because of this moment. And, uh, you know, she defeated Karolina Pliskova. She's doing it the hard way. Um, I mean, it almost doesn't matter really what happens in the semi-final now, does it? I mean, what, obviously she, she gets a great amount of money from this. That's, that's one aspect. It's only a small aspect. It's redemption. It's just it's, it's putting to bed all those, those years of, of not being able to be on that stage, really. And, um, and, and well, it was, it was a joy to watch. And, and now to have got there by defeating one of the favourites for the title, probably... Serena Williams, Joe Conter and Karolina Pliskova were the informed players, the one being, ones really being talked about. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, Lucic Brony had, had had a, an easier on-paper path through to this stage. You know, you'd take Jennifer Brady as a, as a uh, fourth-round opponent for a place in the quarterfinals, wouldn't you? But she, she absolutely did it the hard way today. She's earned her place there, and 
I'm not sure I can add at all to what she said after the match. If you haven't heard it, seen it, go and listen to it and watch it because it. And I defy you not to shed a tear. Yeah, I'll tell you what. There was a, there was a lot of people in the uh, in the press room with something in their eye. <laughs> I can tell you that for absolutely sure. Um, so that happened today. Grigor Dimitrov happened today as well, didn't it? And uh, there was a moment, I mean, you know, for anybody who's a, who's a recent uh, listener to, to the tennis podcast and, and doesn't know the history, if you go back over the archives, we started this in May of two, 2012, and we have spent a good portion of those five years either bigging this guy up and saying he's going to be the next big thing, uh, celebrating what we thought was his big arrival in 2014, <laughs> lamenting his fall from grace thereafter, and now disbelievingly watching him come back to the fore. And here he is having uh, beaten David Goffin in straight sets, and he looks like the real deal. So we're about to celebrate his second big arrival of how many? Who knows? Uh, he does look like the real, de- real deal. If you're an alien just landed from space uh, and you didn't know any of the history of Rigor Dimitrov, you go, wow, what an excellent tennis player. He should be a Grand Slam champion, which is what we've been saying about him all along, mostly, pretty much. Through- well, you've been saying it through all of the bad times. I, I lost my faith there for a while. So I'm right then. Well, he hasn't. He's only equaled what he's done before so far. Mark Petchy gives him a good shout but gives Rafa the edge. I give Rafa the edge as well. But he's got a good point about the speed of the court. That does seem to be a very decisive factor at this tournament. So I I think if he plays the way he has been doing, he has a good chance. I think Rafa's going to win, though. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced about that. I think maybe Grigor might do it. I'm going, to have a th- I'm going to have a think on that. I'm going to give it 24 hours and make up my mind tomorrow. OK, I think you're unable to be... You're already beaming like a proud dad again. I'm not sure you're able to be, uh, be objective when it comes to Grigor. And that's OK. That's OK because, you know, it is... It's pretty wonderful to see him where he should be. The moment it? that he hit the backhand winner down the line from outside <laughs> of the tram lines, behind the baseline, over the high part of the net, over the net post, single-handed backhand, into the postage stamp corner of the court. <laughs> oh, my that goodness. is the second time today I've heard David described that shot in great watch it. detail. I, mean, I'm gonna, I have watched it now. I, oh, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to watch that on a loop tonight before I go to bed just to cheer myself up. Um, and uh, no, it was a joy, and I liked the celebration. He just sort of stood there looking at it as if to say, Have I just done that? <laughs> <laughs> well, he had just done that. Uh, so it'll be Nadal against uh, Dimitrov. I, I loved watching Nadal tonight as well. I felt a bit sorry for Ranic. He, he was a bit bit lame, I think, in terms of physical. I think he pulled up lame during the match. But I also think he was, he was second best tonight. It's as simple as that. Nadal was brilliant. I mean, I thought Mark's. Um, uh, analysis of the, the return position and all that sort of thing and the, the Hawkeye stats that he had there, it, it summed up what it felt like commentating on it that Nadal had just decided, I'm not going to take a backward step and I'm going to trust my hand-eye coordination and boy, he returned well. I mean, it, it was, and that was underlined by, I think, second or third point of the match, 139 mile an hour serve from Raonic onto Nadal's forehand and he just swiped it down the line for a clean winner. Yeah, and that sort of pressure on the first and second serve is what 
is what gives you the double fault in the tie break on set point, isn't it? Because he felt like he absolutely had to go for that second save. It wasn't the quickest, but he was going right for the line. He knew how good it had to be to get him into the point. Uh, and, you know, that was the big opportunity. One set all, it's a bit different, isn't it? We don't yet know. I don't think he's come to press it. He might be in there at the moment, Raonic, but we don't yet know how much of a factor the hip injury was. Certainly he seemed to have some quite unpleasant-looking treatment, but he didn't seem to be too encumbered in his movement to me. He, he was grimacing as if he was in some pain, and yet I didn't think, looking at, at the way he was moving, that it was too massive a factor so I'm reluctant having not yet heard from from Raonic to to see that as too great a factor in the match I think Rafa was just pretty awesome really yeah he was pretty awesome really what else has happened today have I missed anything else out I mean we've had uh, we had Lucic Baroni uh, winning through we've had uh, Serena Williams winning through so tomorrow we've got two women's semi-finals and we've got the uh, the first of the men's semi-finals and um so it's uh, it's venus williams what what do you think is she gonna win is she gonna beat coco vanderway i think uh, i think coco vanderway might win that i mean why wouldn't she produce the same performance that she produced against muguruza and kerber is my question she's done it twice in a row she's done it against the world number one she's obviously she's just playing without thinking isn't she she's just it's one plan it's hit everything as hard as I possibly can as close to the lines as I possibly can oh in fact she because of how hard she's hitting it she doesn't even need to go that close to the lines it is pure brutish power if she does that I don't think Venus I mean Venus would have to have the serving day of her life it would have to be serving a la Wimbledon you know 2001 but then this is a throwback Australian Open so who knows throwback Australian Open it certainly is that I think that Venus Williams is going to win I think Venus Williams is going to win against uh, Coco van der Wey because I'm a romantic and I want the All Williams sisters final but I also want Lucic Baroni in the final yeah, I'll I tell you what I've done a lot of maths already about the potential sort of average ages of finalists and uh, and 25 year old Coco van der Wey being there sort of dilutes down the the impact of that of those stats that I've got lined up quite considerably so so that's going to spoil it if Coco gets there it'll spoil it a little bit as would 25 year old Grigor Dimitrov on the men's side you can't spoil the party not have Grigor in there just because it might ruin your stat no but I'm not that good with stats so when I've got a good one at my fingertips that I've worked out all by myself with the help of a calculator have I you definitely double checked it use it I've double and triple checked it, but I will probably quadruple check before actually broadcasting it. Run it by your brother as well. <laughs> yeah, our resident statistician. Yeah, definitely, definitely important to do. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, Venus Williams against Coco van der Wey. Okay, I'm going to go Venus Williams, and then I'm going to go Serena Williams. It's going to be the All Williams Sisters Ooh. final. That's going to happen, and uh, Federer is going to beat Vavrinka. I think Serena's going to win without doubt, and I and. Uh, I mean, it would be wonderful if Marianne Lucic for anyone, but I think it's just fine if Serena wins. I think she'll. I think you know, the, she's already achieved the moment of her life. I mean, good. She probably spontaneously combust Lucic Baroni if she wins tomorrow. Um, uh, Federer of Rinka, I I'm loath to go against the head-to-head because he's never beaten him on a hard court for Vrinka, and this is a particularly quick hard court. So I think those big swings 
of Vavrinka is going to be taken advantage of by Federer and uh, Vavrinka might find himself outfoxed. Will find himself outfoxed. Federer's going to win. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, goodness me, we only agree. I don't feel very comfortable with this. Uh, so, Catherine, uh, we've had about, what, day 10 today? Day 10? Day 10. I've gotten now. any other business item, Go on. if you'd like to give me the opportunity. Well, I had a, a, just to pick up on a chat we had seemingly weeks ago, but it was only days ago, about the why, does, why don't people serve when you're getting absolutely killed on your second serve? Why is it never a tactic to hit two first serves? And uh, you referenced my brother, resident statistician. He's been doing some full-on nerdy uh, statistical-based research about this, which is absolutely fascinating if you're a proper tennis and maths nerd, which in terms of Venn diagrams, the overlap there might not be that big. But anyway, I had a chat with Mats Valandra about it earlier, and I said, why does nobody do that? And he sort of, you know, scratched his chin, and he really thought about it. Uh, and he said a couple of things. He said, first of all, he could give me an exa- a couple of examples of people that did do it, one of whom was Mark Philippoussis, and uh, particularly recalling the match where he beat Pete Sampras here, and another was Joachim Johansson, um, who we, we sadly saw retire from the sport at such a young age, um, and he did it repeatedly, and, and Matt's recalled a match he played here against Agassi, where he hit 50 aces in three sets and 20 of them were on the second serve. So um, that was very interesting. But anyway, he said in general, uh, he thinks in the future it is something we might start to see. And the reason we don't see it more uh, is because you're psychologically, by doing that, you're essentially saying to your opponent, I don't trust myself to get into a rally with you. And that's too much of a concession to make mentally, even if it's true but I don't know I think it'd be interesting to see someone go okay I've got no chance of winning this point in my second serve so I'll just boom down a first serve yeah you see it occasionally don't you from a Kyrgios or there's one or two others that, that'll do it but, but with Kyrgios you never feel and again I mentioned this to Matt and, and yes he agreed with me it's like it's like parental approval isn't it when Matt Philander agrees with one of your tennis theories um he with Kyrgios I don't think it's a sort of thought through tactic I think it's just oh I fancy hitting another first serve here I'll, I'll go for broke I'll go for glory it's, I don't think it's a tactic in any discernible way No, I don't, I don't think I don't think he's done the same statistical work that Matthew Whittaker has done on the subject that's, you're doing him down <laughs> poor old Nick <laughs> no, I think uh, I think you're right there um, no goodness me it would be interesting wouldn't it to, to get a couple of players along to just sort of just sort of actually go on record and say I've decided I'm just going to overhaul my approach everybody uh, I'm going to hold this press conference to tell you all that from now on I'm hitting first serves first and second serve I'm hitting a first serve full on because I think that that's going to be the difference I mean I don't really have a second serve I sort of inadvertently hit two first serves because I, I, I can only hit one serve and is that, that's, a, all is that a first serve? that's all I've got that's a first it's a, serve. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid first It's almost underarm. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. No, no. I mean, you know, there's only one one big server in the tennis podcast presenting team, albeit one that doesn't go in very often. 
Uh, Catherine Whittaker, I think that's about all for day 10 here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and Eurosport. Go and read Simon Briggs' articles, of course. Uh, go and watch uh, Eurosport tomorrow because we're gonna, they're going to have live coverage of both of the women's semifinals and the men's semifinal in the evening session. You can get the Eurosport player for 19.99 for a full year. That'll give you sport for a year, including uh, three of the Grand Slams uh, live and exclusive. Catherine's holding four fingers up. I'm saying the word exclusive, hence why uh, the, the references to the other three are most significant as far as I'm concerned. However, we are also on BBC Radio 5 Live Sports Extra tomorrow uh, for the night session, tennis breakfast from 7 o'clock in the morning in the UK. It's going to be fun tomorrow, isn't it? Is it going to be hot weather tomorrow? I don't think, I think it's going to be sort of like this for until Monday when it goes up to 40 degrees. Oh, I'm leaving them. I'm not having that. I'm definitely... Now... Weather people, do not make it 40 degrees until uh, fair-skinned David Law has gone back home to cold England, which is where he belongs. But anyway, I hope you've all enjoyed your, your day of tennis viewing. It's really rolling back the years. It's something to behold this, isn't it? And we've got a fabulous few days to come. We'll be back with tennis podcasts after play every single day, and we'll speak to you soon. 